This week on the OneCast, we're joined by EQ angler, Harvey Horn, former Elite Series pro. He wants to talk about choosing the right rod for the right technique, as well as uh, those sponsorships that pop up at unexpected times. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day. What's going on, OneCast fans? Welcome back to the OneCast for another weekly episode, episode something, 20-something. I don't know. I lost count. Uh, as always, Pete, Ben, and Trey here. Ben is joining us remotely, uh, still on his uh, tour through Missouri, uh, fishing bull shoals and stuff. Uh, this week, we're joined by Harvey Horn. Uh, we're going to bring him on in a second. Uh, but as always, you know, we want to make sure you support those who support us. So head to OneCast Fishing. Dot com. Check out snagless jigs, long neck hooks, weedless neds, and uh, anything else that's over there. Uh, maybe some new stuff coming here before too long. We'll have to see. You have to keep an eye on it. Use the code the one cast all one word to save ten percent off your order. Uh, and uh, yeah, help us continue to do uh, do more for the show and uh, and uh, bring you better content and things like that. So uh, Ben is uh, struggling a little bit there in Missouri. It sounds like the fishing's not the greatest right now. They're in that weird post spawn transition. Yeah, I mean, I love bull shoals. I love fishing it, but usually I fish it either earlier in the spring or later June, July, August when they're really offshore. And it's also been weird weather here. There's been no rain for two weeks, but the lake is still pretty stained. We've had no wind. Like the last two weeks, if you go on the Weather Channel app, it's light and variable every single day and mostly bluebird sky. So it's, yeah. they're in that weird transition funk. There's, I've caught a couple spots and largemouth out deep. There's, I can see them in the clearer water. They're still in, in the bushes, but it's one of those things. Sometimes yeah. you're just not very good. <laughs> you know, high pressure system can make it tough. Uh, before we bring Harvey on, there was some news that dropped about an hour ago. We're going to bring that up when Harvey gets on. Kind of a big news because it's the second time uh, a situation like this has happened in a, in a national level event uh, in the last really month. Um, so, so interesting there. We'll get his take on it. Somebody that's fished all over the country. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up is NPFL man uh, down at Santee, Patrick Walters. There was only about two anglers that were consistent and they finished one, two, uh, the rest of the field had one good day, one bad day, maybe one really good day or two bad days and one really good day. It was, it was tough. Uh, but Patrick Walters, uh, won that one. So congrats to him on hoisting the shield. Uh, Trey went down there for it. We'll talk about that on the live probably more, so we don't take up too much of Harvey's time. But uh was was a great event. And uh, if you don't tune into our Fishing Fridays, make sure you do so you can get the inside on that because um, we're going to talk all about it. But I, I guess, Trey, just real quick, uh, you could say, you know, if there's one near you, go check it out, right? Man, I'll tell you, dude, the MPFL, they run an amazing event. They are very streamlined, uh, limited amount of staff that puts on a fantastic show get to meet the ownership and and converse with them face to face great anglers that come across the stage and they really have built a great culture um for the anglers and for the fans and so being a part of that uh taking the one cast down there and representing was a was a fantastic opportunity and and getting to meet um you know Paul and Brad w was amazing so uh congratulations to Patrick Walters he's a stand up guy and uh congratulations to all the other anglers that persevered through the extreme weather that the MPFL had, which they made a, a really good professional decision by pushing showdown Saturday to Sunday. 
and it worked out. And uh, so it was great to be a part of that. So yeah, if you're in the area, the MPFL comes around, go check them out. Really great environment, great culture. Yep. Hey, Trey, uh, did you get a hold or pick up that shield? Man, I was, uh, you know, about six centimeters away. Oh, centimeters? What am I doing here? Six inches away. <laughs> I'm thinking outside. The, yeah, I was, uh, man, I was inches away from that shield. Um, You know, uh, got to take a look at the uh, the plaque that they uh, presented. Um, uh, I think they presented a plaque to the county itself for hosting the event mm-hmm. or for the municipality um, got to stand next to the shield, got to see the a uh, hundred thousand dollar check. You know, I was close. To, I couldn't fit it under my shirt, so there was no way I could take it. Uh, but it was really cool. And we got to go in the back of the trailer and, and throw the one cast uh, sticker up there and, and sign the wall. So that was really cool, man. But yeah, they got some pretty cool things on the horizon. Uh, won't let the cat out of the bag cause uh, it's not my place, but Man, really cool deal and and got to see a lot of elite anglers fishing the MPFL and they say the same thing about their format is very professional, very family oriented. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Like I said, I don't want to take up too much of Harvey's time, but uh, we'll definitely be speaking about it because there's a lot more that went on there and probably some some stuff on social media. Mm -hmm. Trey's made a few posts, so make sure you're following along on on the one cast on Instagram, one cast fishing also uh, posts stuff in our personals, whatever, whatever you follow us on is great. So mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll make sure we get that out to you, but without any more delay, I'm going to bring in Harvey Horn. Harvey, what's going on, bud? How are y'all doing guys? Good. How are you, man? Not too bad for a Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Ain't it? Is uh, it? No, Wednesday. it's Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> holiday, holiday weekend. Got everybody. I keep thinking, yeah. man, I got three more days and I remember tomorrow's Thursday. So, I'm uh, I'm ready to head out to uh, do a little fishing this week. Mm. I'm um, actually gonna gonna go fish a tournament on Saturday. We've got a uh, local veterans uh, tournament that's coming up on Beaver Lake Saturday, so be a special opportunity for me to go take a vet out and might even catch a bass. That's awesome. Yeah, that'll be great. Who's putting that? Uh, who's putting that tournament on, Harvey? That is the man. I'm gonna have to. You're gonna make me look. Um, <laughs> you gotta look. It's uh, it's one of the local churches okay, that okay. has that has put it on for the last couple of years, and it's always been that uh, I've been out of town. Uh, Cross Church in Rogers is the one that's putting it on. Okay, but uh, huge, huge deal for Cross Church to put this on for our local veterans, and it's a it's a special opportunity for me to be able to go do that. Yeah, that's awesome. So we we just we ran through the NPFL real quick in our introduction, but you brought some news to our attention, which we wouldn't have seen because we weren't checking our phones. And you had an opportunity to talk with Baron Adams, who who had a similar situation in the same state. So uh, Josh Stratner, it's Josh, right? Yeah, Straysner, Straysner, Straysner. I'm not I'm not great with some of the names in the uh, in the elites, but it's he, Smith. He was yeah, he was ruled <laughs> ineligible by Bass today for some some sort of license. Uh, yeah, issue. We, we don't know what it was, but yeah, we don't know particularly what happened, but we do know that after talking to the uh, the tournament directors for Bass, which I'm sure was Lisa and uh, and they've been able to deem that he is ineligible. Now, this is not a disqualification; it's just is what it is. For whatever reason, they found him to be ineligible because of a licensing issue. And Josh is not going to be able to fish the Bassmaster Elite Series that's being held on the Sabine River 
in uh, in Orange, Texas. Uh, so I got a question, Harvey. What what would be the the implication implication or the difference between a DQ and an ineligible? Uh, Is it a points thing or? I'm I'm not real sure. I couldn't okay. I couldn't really get into it because there's there's similarities. There's also a lot of differences just in mm-hmm. the wording of how they do things. And without being able to read it off, I, I couldn't get into it. That's but, fair. Yeah, uh, I wasn't sure if you knew or not because I think I, that's a big. There's obviously a difference with them using the two different terms. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you go back and look at what has happened to other anglers this year, and they mm-hmm. did get disqualified in the elite series. But this is not a disqualification. This is just a ruled ineligible. Now, whether or not there is a uh, whether there is anything that goes along with that ineligibility rule or a disqualification, I'm not real sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are certain penalties that come with rules violations with bass all the way up to you know you can be fined or you can lose your BASS membership for up to for life. Um, mm. I don't know of anybody that's ever uh, gotten that judgment ruled against them, but there's some people that have came pretty close. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, I imagine pretty severe violations or multiple violations of, of the same rule or things like that would lead to that, that lifetime ban. But I can't imagine that would be something they would want to throw out a, uh, yeah, throw out without you know absolute necessity. The the biggest thing with bass, and this is one of their like rule two or something, is you cannot um, argue with or or bad mouth bass, so to speak, because they will literally there will be consequences. And so far, there's been some people skating pretty mm-hmm. pretty thin ice, but. So far, we haven't heard them do anything severe, so we'll just have to kind of wait and see how that all plays out over the next couple weeks. When you, when you look at the 2022 season versus what's already happened in 2023, on the bass fishing side, we all know what happened on the other side of different fishing and stuff, but do you feel like there's been more that's happened so far in 2023 versus 2022? Well, I mean, we we've had... We've had more things happen, but it's been stuff that could have been avoided. Uh, I'll mm. put it that way. Uh, with the disqualification uh, in the NPFL, with this ruling, with other things that have happened in the Elite Series and the Opens, you know, all that could have been avoided uh, really easily. And it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm not going to say that they're cracking down, but you have guys who are more uh, cognizant of what the rules are now, and they are actually reporting this themselves. Yeah. So, you know, with the with the situation that uh, Baron had at, at uh, in in Texas, that was a simple mistake. Anybody could have made it. Uh, I know when we went to Mississippi a couple of years ago for an open. A buddy of mine ended up buying a magazine subscription thinking he was buying a Mississippi fishing license. <laughs> so anything can happen when you're dealing with electronics and trying to buy a, yeah. a fishing license on a phone. 
Well, I wonder what subscription he bought. Probably they probably have like the Mississippi Times Outdoor <laughs> magazine or something. Mississippi Outdoor Life or something, you know, that, that <laughs> looked a lot like the Mississippi page for buying a fishing license. And he never thought twice about it, filled out all of his info and literally hit pay, paid for it. The next thing you know, he looks at his email and he was like, well, what the heck? I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> About a magazine subscription. <laughs> how, how did you do that? But I, I had actually seen that link myself. So that link is right above the actual link you need to click on to buy. I wonder if he canceled the. Hold on, uh, hold on a second. He did. I wonder he if did eventually. I think. He uh, got I was going to say. Two magazines. Like, before he got <laughs> it's a it's a monthly reminder. <laughs> Yeah, you get to, you get to remember once a month, but once a month uh, on that. But um, I think to piggyback on on what Harvey was saying, it looks like he froze a little bit there. So we'll give him a second. Um, there we go. When he was talking about you know people understanding the rules better and, and more of the self reporting, which has always been part of of bass fishing, I also feel like anglers, consumers, the outside world are more hyper-focus on these things than they may have been in the past just because of what happened in the walleye mm -hmm. world and the mainstream coverage oh. of that gotten it being everywhere. So now when something pops up and you see DQ or ineligible or fine or this or that, everybody's ears kind of perk up and you, you pay a lot more attention to what's going on there just because, I mean, it brought, it, brought, it brought tournament fishing as a whole into a, in a high realm of vis visibility, which – you know, they say no publicity is bad publicity. And I'm, I, I believe, I mean, I know I talked to folks that had no idea that tournament fishing was a thing until this happened. Yeah. They were like, I didn't even know you could make money doing like fishing against other people. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's just like gambling on a horse race, basically, except you're betting on yourself. Yeah. And, um, so it did bring some, you know, some focus to folks that didn't know. And now there's, you know, I know that I have people that listen to us every week that don't know what we're talking about, but they find it interesting <laughs> that, that's a thing because they didn't understand it. And, you know, you have, you have folks that like to learn about stuff, stuff that's going on. So it, it was cool there, but I, like I was saying, I think it just brought a lot of hyper-focus to any time something happens right now. It's the, the industry as a whole was kind of sensitive to, uh, to what's going on. And then they're looking for the reaction. Like everybody's looking for how, you know, we've talked about the incident with Keith and, and how, you know, how that happened. And then we have the incident with the MPFL and now we have this. So everybody's going to kind of focus on those things and they want to see how organizations, how anglers and how the, how the consumer reacts to that and, and uh, you know, move forward from there. So it's, it's an interesting time to, uh, to kind of be in the sport, around the sport, the industry, fan fiction, whatever it is. Uh, I, I know that we're going to talk about like, um, you know, rod and reel and, and sponsorship deals and stuff, but I, I do have a question for you, Harvey, when it, as it pertains, you've been in the industry for very, for a long time. Um, and you've been at, every, you know, at all the levels of, of professional bass fishing. Do you think the amount of visibility that because of social media and, and the great internets that we have and all this stuff, because it's so quick to find out information, do you believe that it's actually helping the integrity of the sport? I do. I, I really believe that it does. For the simple fact that, you know, you, especially for guys that run live in their boats during the tournament, uh, there's not a lot of them that do that. And I've, I've toyed around with it a couple of times, but I never had a place that I had really good signal. 
So, you know, you literally are being watched by the entire fishing community anytime mm-hmm. that you have uh, live running or you have Bassmasters cameras or you have the NPFL cameras, MLF cameras. It brings a whole new dynamic knowing that at any given time, somebody could be recording. you. Mm-hmm. you know, it, and I know I've been in a position uh, now four times where I have had to call the tournament director. And I, I literally can take you back to the spot that they all four happened. Uh, my first day on the Elite Series in uh, 2019, I had a marshal, was running down the lake, and my marshal notices my rod locker is open. And in our rules, it states both anglers have to, or both angler and you know marshal have to be seated anytime the big motor is running and in gear. Uh, so I'm slowing down to take the boat out of gear and cut the motor off. Dude jumps up before I come fully off plane, closes the rod locker and sets back down. And I'm like, I got to call a trip. He's like, why? So you got up before I could turn the motor off. Hmm. Well, you shouldn't have to do that. I'm like, I know I shouldn't. But if there's another angler that's sitting over at the, on the bank and he sees me just sees what just went down and he makes that phone call that he's supposed to make, then I'll get DQ'd for the day. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't understand that I was going to you know, waste trips time making that phone call. But I violated the rule because of something he did. Wasn't my fault that it happened, but it happened nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So now we have a dynamic of anybody on the water, anybody standing on the bank, they can be recording you at any time as we mm-hmm. saw with Keith Poche. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that added dynamic of any time you're out in public or on the water, you know, you, you might have somebody recording. You. Yeah. And if you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing, it could wind up on social media. When you're running a rat boat and everything too, I mean, it's not just, it's not just that I was talking to, to Hank Cherry a couple weeks ago at, uh, he had swung up by the, uh, the open there at Kerr, uh, or no, I don't remember where it was, but I was talking to him and we got into the, we just got into the conversation randomly about like dock owners and think how things like that go with some of them. And, uh, he told me about a time on Norman, you know, when he had first made it to, to the elites and, it was when he was with uh, Evan Williams. So he had his boat with the Evan Williams rat and he was there fishing a team tournament. It wasn't even a BASS tournament. He was fishing a dock and some guy came down and was, uh, you know, yelling at him, MFing him, telling him to get away from my dock. Yeah, blah, blah. And Hank was surprisingly, because I know Hank in the back of the day had a little bit of a temper, but I guess he stayed really calm and told the guy, like, you know, you can call the, the law, whatever you want to do. Like, I can fish here and, and I'm going to. And uh, the guy actually went and called Evan Williams and, and the, uh, his partner was there and he was like, yeah, like 15 minutes after that guy confronted us, Hank's phone rang and it was Evan Williams. He had called him because the name was on the side of the boat. They called Evan Williams. Evan Williams got a hold of their manager for their, you know, their anglers and, and called him. We're like, hey, are you out here cussing this guy? And he was like, that's not at all what happened. So at the end of the day, he ended up calling the law and they find the guy for sure. <laughs> sportsman harassment or fisherman harassment because he was down there badgering the guy so he ended up you know getting himself in trouble so karma bit him but yeah that and that was before everybody had a dang 4k camera in their pocket and uh 
when you're a big billboard, and that's something I try to tell, you know, our our anglers that I you know I help band manage uh, with one cast fishing, the ambassadors, uh, other other guys or gals that come to me and talk about pro staff or or, or those things, and I'm like, you have to understand like a serious company if you want to move up and you want to do things you have to remember that you represent that company 24 7 so no matter what you do on social media or in the public even if you're not wearing their gear if you're associating your name with them and you do something stupid it's going to come back on that company Mm -hmm. and ultimately it's going to come back on you and you're going to screw yourself up yeah yeah that was uh one of the things that i learned really quickly when when i was with when i was running an express boat uh, they were, they actually received a call on somebody that was not me and the guy that answers the phones, I I'd gotten to be friends with him and, and he called me directly and he was like, Hey bro, where are you at? And I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm sitting in my garage right now. He's like, well, we just received a call that, you know, somebody on, uh, Greer's ferry was, was running circles around pontoon boats and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no, I'm at home, dude. And he's like, okay, I just wanted to call you before I went to your boss and and clear this up before it went any further because they called saying it was you. And I'm like, well, bro, it's kind of hard to mistake my boat for anybody other than Dale Hightower, Bill Lowen, or Caleb Summerall at that time. Yep. But uh, because our boats were, were, were wrapped and had the big express on it, well, all they saw was express boats, so they automatically – because of social media thought it was me, hmm. but, uh, you know, things like that happen all the time. It's just how everybody handles it. You know, uh, I had that same situation go down years ago, fishing Caney Lake back home in Louisiana, where one of the docks that me and my best friend fished every Thursday night for four years, I came and fished a tournament with another friend of mine, on a Saturday, well, we come around to start fishing this dock, and my buddy skips a, a worm up under the dock, and the dude comes down and loses it. And I'm like, dude, we literally fish here almost every Thursday night. We've talked to you numerous times, and you've never had a problem with anybody fishing here. Well, you guys in these big bass boats, and all it was was I was in a different boat. You know, one of the NASCAR edition Rangers, when they came out, Oh yeah. I was in a different boat. So it, it, it immediately pissed him off that I was, that I was there fishing in this big, nice boat where on Thursday nights I was there in a smaller, older boat and he didn't have any problems with us fishing on Thursday night. But when mm-hmm. we come out there in a different boat on Saturday, Oh, it was a big deal. You know, you can't be fishing around my dock. But yeah, that- and I've only w- once seen the positive side of a, of a dog angler, and it was actually a couple weeks ago. I fished a tournament with Mike Till or Mike uh, Nadeau on Tillery, and we went back in a pocket where he had seen some beds, and the sun wasn't quite right. We ended up catching one of the fish he knew was there because he knew where the bed was, and we were able to blind flip to it. We found another one and flipped, and the owner came down, and I'm like, "Great, here we go." And we both kind of looked at each other, and the guys like. Y'all in a tournament, we were like, yeah, he's like, well, there's a bed right there in this corner, and there's one over there. He's like, my daughter names them, so I have to let her know if you catch them. And he pointed all these beds that were around out to us. So there's Steven and yeah. Billy. And- <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of cool because when that, when he come down, I was like, uh, we're about we're about to get told. 
but that's that's important to bring up uh you don't hear that talked about a lot and i don't know if you've talked about it previously but with everything going on right now especially with how social media just amplifies everything with the keith poche deal with the i don't know you name it uh and everyone even myself i'm like man like it's great entertainment like keith poche is great entertainment or whoever insert the name here but i other people and and myself included didn't really think about how much visibility you get with a wrapped boat with being on you know bodies of water and and conducting yourself in a manner that's not going to bring you know tarnish the reputation of whatever organization you're working for your sponsors all that stuff so you're constantly in the limelight it's like the red carpet is the lake you know oh, yeah. and you're mm-hmm. always on it so we've me and my son fished a tournament on table rock last uh, sunday before last and literally within a few hours of getting home uh one of the facebook pages there was somebody made a post hey who was this guy on table rock running the black rifle boat and at that time i I was locked out of facebook so i couldn't answer him myself (laughs) it happens you know facebook jail my password (laughs) the wrong way three different times i got locked out of my own social media uh so my sister reached out to him and said hey you know that's that's my brother you know is there you got any questions or what's going on he's like no no he was he was super nice he gave us plenty of room uh it was just kind of foggy and i was concerned about y'all running but i noticed y'all did wait until the fog started to lift before you took off and i just wanted to just wanted to say that he was very courteous to us as we were putting our boat in and getting out so not always is it negative, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, the positive is, is a whole lot less than the negative is. Yeah. And the positive, it, it's kind of, that's just society we live in, not to get off, but like when you do things the right way, they don't, nobody talks about it. When it's you not, wait in line it's at not the ramp, fun. when you shut your lights off, when you back down in the morning, you do all that, nobody says anything. But the second that guy pulls in and doesn't shut his lights off, yeah. or is yeah. unstrapping his boat, everybody's freaking out. And yeah. it's, you know, that's the guy we probably should say, hey, you know, shut your lights off is good for the people. And maybe, you know, maybe do thank the guy that does, does actually shut them off and doesn't blind you. But, um, that's how we got Harvey on this podcast week. We locked his Facebook out. That's right. We tried to hack his Facebook <laughs> and then we sent him some blackmail. Just said, uh, if you come on the podcast, we will, uh, we'll give Whatever you a password back. <laughs> I, I but, mean, um, strangely enough, I actually had somebody try to hack me while I was at Bug out, Bugs Island on day one. And, you know, for, for me, I have to be on top of everything that happens with my social media. So I immediately call my wife. I'm like, Hey, if you've got time, can you get on this? And she's like, I don't have time. So I literally reset my password, did all of that. And then, uh, two days later, it sent me another thing saying that I have to have two stage sign in verification. And I'm literally trying to start that all up and it locks me out and I'm done for like five <laughs> days. So it can be a real pain in the rear end, but, uh, you know, yeah, I learned long ago through others that have come before me that it's really important to answer all your social media questions, all your messages, because you never know, the the next Brandon Polinick may be the kid that you're helping out right now. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, and you know, I, I learned that from following Ike and Ellie like I do. Uh, 
um, years ago when I first started getting into this, my wife had like an hour long conversation with Ike just back and forth on Facebook or Instagram or something. And when you can reach out to guys like that and have him answer now, he may not now, but this was, you know, when social media was still pretty new, mm-hmm. maybe not new to everybody, but new to me, um, to have somebody like him step up and say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to answer your questions and see if I can help you out. That was, that was a huge influence on how I do my stuff. Yeah. 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 Like, you know, he was one of those guys that kind of trailblazed the use of social media to grow his brand. And, you know, we're, we're seeing folks coming up now that are, that are finding ways to, to leverage the new algorithms and the way new things work and, and, you know, work it to their advantage. So like you were saying, you got to stay on top of it. You got to respond to those messages and, and uh, make sure that you engage with your followers or else they're going to move on to the next, next person and try to get, get the answers they're looking for from them. Um, And uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, that was good. We, a lot of good information there, but at the end of the day, just be a good person and, yeah. and uh, you know, don't be afraid to help another angler. We say it all the time. Like, and I don't know, Harvey, I, I know you've listened to ourselves. You probably heard us say it, but everybody talks about growing fishing and growing the industry till it's time to actually do it. And then they don't want to say anything. Uh, so, you know, I, I've started saying something new on all of our posts. Trey said, you know, we want to, we want to help grow the industry one, one cast at a time. But I say, I want to build a community of anglers helping anglers one cast at a time, because yep. at the end of the day, we're our best resources. Being able to reach out to anybody who who has experience at any level, uh, you know, it's important to to be open and to help each other. I mean, you like I said, I might not send you waypoints on a lake if I if I know I'm going to fish against you in a tournament, but I got no problem telling you what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. you know, or where where they've been. Um, and that's that's the only way that we're gonna we're continue to get better. And like you said, Ike Ike is was one of the best. I don't know. I I had some conversations with him when he was sort of coming up too, because he was sort of local for me growing up in in Pennsylvania. He was on the other side of the state, but yeah. kind of seeing somebody from our area get to that level, and he was really one of the first from our sort of immediate area to make it to that level. Uh, being able, he was always open. You know, when social media came around. So I remember talking to him when I was young on social media and. And, uh, you know, getting back to him, uh, Ishman Rose, another mm-hmm. guy who's really good face to face. If you meet him, he's, he's a good salesman. He's good to talk to. Uh, he's a little bit brunt. Uh, I love Ish, but, uh, he can, he can come across as a little bit blunt, but he's another one. I remember when the classic was in Pittsburgh, he didn't make the last day cut. And I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11. And I talked, he talked to me like I was fishing the elites right alongside him at, at 11 years old for probably an hour and a half, just answering every question an 11 year old would have about bass fishing. Like it was nothing. And ever since then, I've been a fan of him. We've seen Harvey at shows, mm-hmm. uh, even visiting booths. He's not associated with or anything. If people start asking questions, he jumps right in and helps those folks. So uh, that that's good advice for anybody that, that's listening. And, you know, we talk about ways to, to help, you know, grow your presence, in the industry or social media, and just being helpful to other folks is a great way to, to bring exposure to yourself and in turn exposure to any companies that you, you are, working with or may work with. I know we were going to talk rods and we'll get to that, but we, you also said you want to talk a little bit about those partnership opportunities that come when you least expect them. So I think this might be a good time to kind of segue into that. Yep. Yeah, most definitely. I was literally at the, the Bentonville bike fest on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday, walking around, had this hat on and I'm just enjoying the, 
being there. You know, it's it's cool watching all these kids. And when I say kids, there's like some 10 and 12 years old, year olds out there doing these big dirt jumps and backflips and loop-de-loos and everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had some some other trials that they were doing where they would jump from logs to rocks and all this stuff on bicycles, really cool stuff to watch. But as I'm walking through, you know, checking out all the vendors that are there, I literally have a guy that stops me and he was like, what are are you from North Carolina? And I'm like, no, no. What what do you, what do you do? I said, I I fish professionally all over the country or semi-professionally, however you want to say it. Um, we can talk about that yeah, later. You're, pro- <laughs> you're a professional. You're a professional. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he he's like, I literally drive by cash and rods twice a day. I'm like, cool. That's pretty pretty awesome to see somebody that's driven all the way from North Carolina to here to set up a booth to sell hats, right? And he's got the cool, you know, really cool hats with the leather logos on them. Mm -hmm. And we get to talking and he's like, Hey, I want to help you out. And I was like, man, I, I really and truly appreciate that because it's not often that something just presents itself like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, got his business card. We talked for a few minutes and he's like, here, take one of these as a sample. That way you'll know what it is. My wife ended up buying another one from him while we were there. And just meeting people like that in random places, you never know who you're going to talk to. That's right. That could be the CEO of a company that three years from now you may be partnered with or trying to partner with. So for anglers, even this, and especially these young anglers, always be very aware of the things you're saying, where you're saying them and how you present yourself on social media. Uh, One of the the best pieces of advice that I had that came from a company that I never ended up working with was even if something, you know, you you buy a certain product and doesn't work the way you thought it would, or it's not up to the quality you expected, don't ever get on social media and bash it because you may be trying to work with that company in the future. And I've seen this over and over, especially on TikTok, where these young guys, they'll break a bait out of the package. Man, I'm taking these factory hooks off because they're junk. And I'm like, dude. Yep, there goes your opportunity to ever work with that company. You probably just burned a bridge that could cost you working with not only one, but maybe five or six different companies because yep. of what you just said. Yeah. So you always have to be aware of the situation that you're in and who you could be working with in the future. Yeah. And we don't wear uniforms in the fishing. Like there is no uniform in the fishing world. If, go to ICAST and look at the guy, the, the folks that are walking around and who you would never know who's who look at the VP of like tackle warehouse, for example, if you ever meet him, he's usually in flip flops, a pair of shorts and a golf shirt. You would never think he was in the position that he's in. Yeah, the owner. And you could rap to him about how terrible you think their shipping is or, you know, and you go off on the mouth because you had an issue with them. And then next thing you know, you're, you're you're looking for partnerships and 
Oh, I remember meeting you one time. Yeah, you might want to go check with somebody else. I yeah. think uh, iCast was a was a great opportunity for for us to well, especially myself, to get an inside look at how complex uh, the industry really is. Like a lot of people, at, you know, from the outside looking in, they think like, oh, that bait company makes every hook that goes on that bait. They paint all those baits. They make the plastic. They make the packaging. No, dude. That's all like subcontracted out to different companies. If you think everybody pours their soft plastics, <laughs> you're very, very wrong. So when you get that X bait out of the package and say, this is garbage and ripping it in half. Well, the person that poured that bait is probably looking at it too and saying, I don't ever want to do business with that person either. So um, perception is reality, especially on social media. And you can judge somebody very quickly on their social media page. And I know that I've seen several uh side by side bait videos where they cut baits in half and they're like this is a garbage bait and whatever dude well good luck in the future you know what i mean so that's a really really good point you mean like when ben melted melted down that uh, <laughs> jackhammer to show that they weren't nothing about anything. i didn't say, no i didn't say anything about the quality there, there was no, no you're just sure it wasn't tungsten <laughs> you know the jackhammer's tungsten i mean it's 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 not but Unless you buy yeah. the JDM version, but uh, I, you know, being in the industry, you see people trash different companies and all. I sit back and chuckle because I know their products are made in the exact same place, just different <laughs> names. On them. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, there, you know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of those. Uh, there's only so many places that that pour baits. There's only so many hook manufacturers in the world. There's only so many factories that, that make the wire and do everything so it's all it's all pretty well intertwined so would you submit harvey that um you know especially for young aspiring anglers or or those already in the industry is it a constant state of job interviews yes. like your your life is a constant state of job interviews 100 percent. yeah and you never know when you're going to have an opportunity to help a company that you may never work with. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've been around for as long as we have now. I've brought certain things to certain companies that I'll probably never work with, but, and it's not, not on the, the, the production side, it's on the quality side more of, Hey man, why don't you try this? This could, this could help you, catch more fish one, which is the way I look at things. And, you know, if you're catching more fish, word of mouth is going to produce more sales. So I'm, I've never looked at it as a, okay, I'm going to go to this company and tell them, and, you know, give them this big sales pitch. I just look at something and see where I think it could be better. And sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm probably not, but it's just my opinion. That's all it is. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had ideas that Express take, took and ran with and made their boat a better company. Dale Hightower, Bill Lowen, Caleb Summerall, Jason Christie, we all had input into helping them build a better boat. And, uh, you know, I can go to the shows now and walk up to their boats and, and see things that I talked about or Jason talked about or Dale talked about or Bill talked about and, and made them have a better brand mm -hmm. and uh, being part of that, that communication was, was, was huge for, for all of us. And 
you know, in smaller companies, hey, man, if you'll try this instead of that, that may help you catch more fish on that particular bait. It may work out. It may not. But it's it's those little ideas that we try to be helpful. And it doesn't matter if I'm at the local tackle shop and somebody walks up and says, man, you know, I'm going. I, I was there just a couple weeks ago and I had a guy come in that was going saltwater fishing. Man, I'm looking for this, this, and this, and this. And he comes out with like some freaking 10 odd hooks. And I'm like, bro, wait a minute. You're either going to El Salto or somewhere like that. And he's like, no, I'm going offshore fishing. Hmm. Okay. Well, this will work. This will work. But that one, yeah, that ain't going to work. And just helping that guy made me feel good inside because I know that the stuff that I told him is going to be close to right. Even though saltwater fishing is not something I do every day, I've done it enough when I was younger that I know enough about it to be able to say, you know, this will work and that won't. Mm-hmm. But we, we all have those things that uh, we're, we're all highly opinionated, obviously. And being able to be helpful to the younger anglers and even some of the anglers that are just new to the sport is, is always going to be a great opportunity for all of us, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you hit the nail on that. Everybody has an opinion. And that's probably the, the question I hate the most when you see it pop up on a, on a fishing page or something is what rods best for this money. And it's like, well, here we go. And then next thing you know, guys are wanting to kick each other down the stairs and punch a baby because he thinks lose is better than straight king or catching is better than, you know, whatever. And it's, it's, I just sit back and laugh and I'm like, man, the guy just asked a simple question. We all have opinions. Like there's nothing to get mad about. Your opinion doesn't invalidate mine. The funniest one to me are the not videos. People in the wad over knots. Oh yeah. And which knots to use and what type of line and all this other stuff. And like, like uh, we've probably all caught big fish and every type of knot out there at some point in our life. Like they, mm-hmm. they all work, it, right? Some may have better applications than others, but don't call people idiots if they're doing something like there, there may be a knot that's better for a particular technique and you can point them in that direction, but they tie a granny knot. It may break more often, but they can still catch fish with it, you know? So true. Yeah. people, you know, I've actually seen a few knots that I'm actually, you know, it's so hard for all of us to break out of that. I've used this my whole life. It works every time or I'm, I'm not going to try anything new. I've looked at this tornado knot over and over again. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's really similar to what I'm already tying, but it's got a lot more steps. And for me, the faster I can get my bait tied on and get it back in the water, it's, it's, you know, all that extra loops and back flips and everything else that you got to do with your line. If it cost me three seconds, that's a cast. Yeah. So all that time I'm spent doing all this extra stuff, if I could be casting, I'm going to tie a different knot to where I'm faster getting back up there and casting again. Uh, Denny Broward, many years ago at the Classic in Shreveport, you know, the line for Kevin Van Dam's all the way wrapped around the building. Denny's sitting over here by himself. And I walked up and I was like, Denny, what knot do you use? He's like a double polymer knot. Okay. Thank you. And I walked on and he was like, Hey, wait, wait a minute. Why ain't you in line to see Kevin? And I'm like, they can all see him. I got the information I came for already. <laughs> you know, you're like number six or seven on the money winning list. You fish baits that you have to have high impact 
to get the fish out of where they're at and into the boat, I would rather use that knot 100% of the time over anything Kevin's using because he's most of the time cranking. Yeah, I've literally seen him flip like one tournament. (laughs) So I'm going to go with the guy that's got the monster hook set and catches fish out of the junk because that's what I like to do. I'm not a crankbait guy. I I will throw one, but it's not my forte, so to speak. Just one. You you only own one. Yeah, he just has one crankbait. (laughs) No, I've actually, I, I probably got as many crankbait rods as anybody that works with cashing. Yeah, and yeah, that's a fact. Uh, because I, I, when I do crank, I use so many different crankbaits. Yep, you know, mm-hmm. from a square bill all the way to the the big. You know, I've got some of the old man stretch thirty pluses. Oh, and I've got you gotta have a freaking broomstick to throw that thing, and yep. it will <laughs> absolutely kill you by the end of the day. <laughs> but there are times at Grand that if you're not throwing something like that or the the xd10 you're just not fishing for the right fish yeah Yeah. so that's that's one of those things where i've i've got them all i just that's not something i talk about a lot because it's not something i do every day yeah yeah i go yeah i'll I'll probably at some point during the day i'll find something that i need to flip a jig into yeah yeah even if i'm fishing offshore and i see a you know a lay down on the bank well i'm gonna go flip that lay down before i leave Yep. I'm I'm a lot like you. If you look if you look at my boat in the summer when those fish start offshore, I I'll carry I'm you know, I have a relationship with cash and so I got a, a bunch of them too. And I'll have six or seven different crankbait rods and then always have like six different worm jig rods because those are the like you said, with crankbaits there's such a wide variety of sizes and shapes and weights that'll get the same job done and you're trying to figure out which one and people look at you like you're crazy and I throw everything, I throw everything on a medium heavy fast. And it's like, well, you're only hurting yourself. And, and I was that guy for a long time until, until I got down here and I wasn't just fishing the river and chasing smallmouth and, and started fishing different types of water and branching out on, on different techniques I was using and stuff. And as I started going to cashing and talking to the folks that understood that, like the science behind it, it all started to make sense. And this is another, we just keep segueing perfectly. I don't know if Harvey's doing this on purpose. It's, or if it's just we, flowing. I don't know. We like this Facebook. <laughs> but that was another the questions we all get. I'm sure every single one of us here has gotten it, if not once a hundred times. What rod do you use for this? And I know that's something that you you wanted to talk about when you we when I asked you what you want to talk about when you came on, because you have your podcast and go on others. So uh why don't you why don't you give us your your take on you know kind of how you match a rod to a bait on, on what you're doing? So for for me personally, the weight of whatever I'm throwing is paramount to what rod I'm using. And if you'll look at, uh, we're we're going to use Cashin for example, just because it's a company both of us are familiar with. I'm sure uh, the other two guys that are on with us have seen them a time or two. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so. When I'm throwing, say, a shad wrap, which is an extremely light bait, a sh- uh, the SR5, which is a smaller size, you're going to need a rod that's going to be able to throw a lighter weight. And, and we're not talking the uh, BFS stuff. We're talking, you know, straight casting rod, uh, medium speed reels, something that's going to get a bait far enough out that you're going to crank it down, get the maximum running depth out of that bait. So for me, 
I want a medium light cranking rod that's going to throw quarter ounce stuff when I'm throwing a shad wrap. It's not the best option, but it is an option I like to use. And I'll get into what the best option is, and that's probably a spinning rod uh, for those type baits. Spinning rods with very light crankbaits, great, great com combination. But once you start graduating into, uh, say, say a swing head or, or a hard head, whatever you want to call it, you, and you go up, you're going to bump up to about a three-eighths ounce. Uh, worm jig rod, uh, even some of the frog rods that are rated for lighter weight stuff, you know, three-eighths to, say, ounce and a quarter. Worm jig rod that, that Cashin makes is, is the perfect setup paired with a high-speed reel, 18 to 20-pound line. Once you start getting into the heavier, you know, your bigger jigs, throwing a big worm with, a say, a half-ounce weight, then you want to step up a little bit. Uh, worm jig rod will still work, but when you go to, say, a 7.6 heavy action, that's going to give you just a little bit more length and a little bit more power in the rod for those hook sets on long casts. Those are just a few examples. I mean, we could sit here and go all night <laughs> on oh, yeah. all the different stuff out there. But for me, pairing the rod to the weight of the bait is paramount on getting the best performance out of what you're throwing at that time. I you know when, when I first yeah. went to New York, I actually called Bill Lowen and was like, hey, dude, you know, what's the best option for rods? Because I've never dealt with big smallmouth in that kind of current. And Bill was like, hey, dude, get some medium heavy seven six uh spinning rods. And I'm like, whoa, medium heavy. That's that's awful stiff. And he's like, trust me when I tell you, the stiffer the rod, the less amount of fish you're gonna lose. And he was exactly right. You know, the longer stiffer the rod is, the less fish I lost. And it's been an evolving thing over the last four years that I've been able to go up there where I've learned a little bit more every trip. Now, unfortunately, I haven't done as good as I did that first trip, but it's something that you continually learn and, and it's an evolving thing with each angler until you get to that point to where, okay, I'm going to pick up this two ounce punch weight and this freaking broomstick that I'm fixing to punch with. And that's yeah. one of those things with, We'll get into it at some point on a later podcast or the bath hub. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think, I, and you brought up, I want to stick with the crankbaits. That's probably the number one question you get is about crankbaits and rods. And I know when I noticed, and, I, and I'll say any moving bait with a treble hook, when I noticed a much, a much better hookup ratio, better landing ratio, was when I learned how how important a moderate action and having having that parabolic bend is with with those treble hook baits and, and a crankbait, no matter how big. Even I mean, if you look at the yeah. the rod that John just released, you know the the big bait rod. We were going to stick with Cashin. You know he designed that to throw those big giant XD crankbaits. Where are they? Like the the not the tens, but the the whatever. Eight, eight, next, eight, yeah, eight, the eights. Nine. That's it. Six and yeah. eights. And so that's got that moderate, moderate action for those the swim, treble hook swim baits and things like that. So kind of explain why that's important to you or, you know, what, why people should look to that moderate action when they're throwing a moving treble bait, especially. 
I'm I'm extremely old school when it comes to crankbaits, and I've had some of the best glass rods that were ever made at that time. But once you once you move over into the carbon family, you get a a better reaction of the rod out of the carbon than you did the fiberglass, and you get way more feel as far as sensitivity. For me to have a, a good rod that's going to load up correctly, that's going to bend in the right way, when you're throwing, say, a square bill or a, a, a DT6 uh, Spro rock crawler, something like that, it's very important for that rod to load up through the entire rod, especially when you get a big fish. When they suck that bait in, you want that fish to hold on to the bait long enough for you to pull because you've only got to move that bait as long as the for the the from the point to the, the uh, um, what's the word the barb the barb the bend, yeah. yeah yeah that's how far that bait has to move in that fish's mouth it's very little but as that fish grabs onto that bait they actually hold on to a bait a lot harder than we think so pulling on that bait even though you've got a rod that's going to bend correctly. You have to just continue to continue to have that pressure. The way most fish get hooked, and I've seen this in some of the tanks, is as they start to open their mouth, that's when you get the bait to move. And having that rod already preloaded by reeling and just pulling on it instead of a hard yank and trying to set the hook, as soon as they start to open their mouth, that bait moves just the perfect amount to set mm -hmm. the hook. You're going to land more fish that way. You're going to get many more opportunities because that rod's going to actually allow that fish to suck the bait in as it's moving away from it. And that's just a few things that I've learned through all my years of tournament fishing and fishing in general, that uh, having a good rod, you don't have to go out and spend a thousand dollars on a rod. Uh, there's all kind of rod brands out there. Cashin has a really good price point rod right now that anybody can afford and you're going to get a really high quality rod to do the, all those kind of things with. Yeah. That's the element series for anybody listening. If you want to check them out, uh, they just released that it's a one twenty nine price point. It's, I, I think it's probably the best rod in that, in that price point range, knowing the technology that's in there. We can talk about that another time, but um, Boy, we just, we just, Oh, go ahead, Ben. I said, I don't want you guys to make fun of me anymore because they, you know, on the crankbait, you know, I lean into it. You guys, why aren't you setting the hook? Well, that's, well, my large. I don't make fun because I, no, I, I just wind into them. Yeah. I did used to. I mean, I, and I and I know that's why I was missing fish because I was, like I said, I was a medium heavy fast. That's all you need for everything. And so when those fish weren't loading up, like Harvey's saying, I was missing it. And you, you hear guys all the time when you fish with them. I don't understand how they they hit that crankbait with, with them two treble hooks. You don't get a hook in them. Well, that's because you're reacting too quick when you have that that medium heavy rod, you don't have the right rod and you're basically pulling the bait away from them and they're not getting a chance to actually eat it. And then when I went to, you know, went to a moderate action and, and I remember that first bite and feeling it and just winding. And the next thing you know, that fish is there and I never even had to move the rod. And yeah. it, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. Like, I mean, you know how many, how much more money I could have won local tournament. It's because of fish I lost. <laughs> it, it, Pete, Pete and I were out the other day. Um, and I mentioned, I said something to, to Pete, cause I use, you know, I have a, a handful of cash and rods and I'm slowly uh, divorcing my other inventory. Um, not that they didn't catch that. I didn't catch fish on them. Cause I, I totally didn't. And, and that's, listen, if you can't afford 
$129 rod, then go out and try to find what works for you. But what we're talking about here is kind of the science behind it. Uh, after I switched over and started using the, the cash and worm jig rod, I didn't switch any of my reels, by the way, like I still have relatively inexpensive reels. I found so much more sensitivity, increased retention and hookup ratios, and just the, the lack of wear and tear on your body. Um, by using something that is a lot more is lighter and, and more sensitive. It, it just helped me recover after, you know, eight, 12, 15 hours on the water and stuff. And, and Pete, were out, Pete and I were out fishing a school of them. And uh, I think he caught his first Carolina rig fish that day. It wasn't my first one. This is his first one. Don't let him lie. Okay. But, uh, but no, it was great. Um, but we were catching fish and, and it, they were all on, you know, the rods we're talking about right now. And uh, so it is important if you care. Um, but if, if, but if you don't care and you can't afford, then, you know, fish what you want to fish. But, uh, it's, it's definitely made a huge difference for me. And there, there's rods and I'm going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to keep, you know, like this being a cash and commercial, but <laughs> they do make multi-purpose rods and things like that, that, that they've built that action to be able to handle moving baits and, and a worm jig and things like that. And, and, uh, if you ever go to a show and they're there and Matt's there, just, ask Matt questions and he'll science you to death about things. But, mm-hmm. but if Not you cool. listen to him, it all like it, everything he talks about, it'll, it'll start to make sense on why, you know, I was of, of the kind, I'm sure Harvey back in the day, Ben, I'm sure all of us, when we were watching bass growing up and everything, and guys were talking about rods were like, they're just trying to sell that rod. Quantum, <laughs> like, quantum, yeah, quantum, quantum. Gotta have, <laughs> and it's gotta be this action when I do this and this action, when I do that. And until you start to kind of look at the science behind it. And if you start to take, take it more seriously, like we're saying, you don't have to go out and buy a $200 rod or $129 rod fish with what you're happy with. But when you start to understand, you start to catch more fish. Oh yeah. You know, you, you see a lot of people comment like, I don't understand why someone would pay this much for a rod and reel. And, um, it's true. Like anything will catch a fish, right? A broomstick or a cane pole can catch a fish, but mm-hmm. I've explained to a few people, uh, and it made sense to them. Like you can go down to Walmart and buy what's it? Savage, a three, $200 deer rifle, and you can mm-hmm. kill a deer, but, there is an accuracy, rage, quality issue compared to like a Remington 700 or a Browning or something, right? You, you, there is something you get your pay for. And when things are designed for a specific purpose, you're just going to have more, uh, you're going to be more efficient and ultimately have more success over the long term with it. Yep. I always tell people like you can vacuum your living room with a shop vac, but it's a lot nicer to do with a Dyson. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. You know, one of the, one of the, one of the, the say the grandfather of crank baiting, Rick Klein, mm-hmm. I don't know if he still does it, but at one time, every rod that he used for every different application was identical. Now, I don't know if he's still doing this, uh, but you know, six, seven years ago, he took the, okay, I'm going to do away with all my crankbait rods. I'm going to do away with all my flipping rods. All I'm going to have is, you know, a seven four, seven, five, seven, six, heavy action. And I'm going to use those rods for everything that I do. What he did by doing that is every bait, every rod that he picked up, the rod and the reel was the same. So (laughs) that part of the equation was taken out of what he did throughout the day. Now, 
when he did all that, uh, I'm not going to say he had bad years, but he didn't do as well as he did in 2018 and 19, right? He won two tournaments in Florida uh, in the same general area. But that was his mentality of, okay, I'm going to control every aspect that I can. And, and this is something that, that me and Stephanie have just talked about recently is let's control. Bless you. Bless you. Yeah. She's back here. Probably. You're good. Cayenne pepper or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you have to be in control of every aspect of the game that you can control and then plan for what you can't control. Mm-hmm. Uh, practice is the same way. If you're going to have a, a north wind during practice and a south wind during a tournament, practice for the south wind instead of the north wind that you have during that tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that was something that I felt was really unique that he did at that time. Like I said, I don't know if he still does it, but that was that was something that was really unique. You know, there you can do that if you're a guy like Harvey Horn or somebody who's probably been in the game for a long time and still see moderate success with it because you have so much experience. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't st- think I could. I really don't. Just for the simple fact that I know that, uh, you know, at some point during, just like I went out yesterday, at some point I was throwing, throwing a three-eighths ounce jig. At some point I was throwing – uh, a half ounce jig. And then by the end of the day, I'd picked up a one ounce jig. <laughs> and, you know, when you're throwing a three eighths, you need to probably use an our multi-purpose rod. But when you pick up that one ounce jig, you need the worm jig rod or a flipping jig or a flipping yeah. rod. But that's just because of the way I like to fish. I'm going to try all the different options that I can, mm-hmm. especially if I'm not getting bit. But, yeah. uh, that's just one of those things where I, I think it's really interesting on how all the bait companies will have so many different sizes of the same lure. You know, yeah. uh, Big Bite's got a three inch, a four inch, and a five inch fighting frog, some of the most popular baits that I use. You know, some days they want the three, some days they want the five, some days they want the four. And it's being able to figure out what they want in each day that makes it a little bit of difference. And I'm sure that uh, with the one cast baits, there's probably different sizes there to fit different applications. That You know, I know we're talking about rods, but you brought something I want to ask you, Harvey. So let's, you know, you said about not getting bit. If you're in an area flipping shallow brush, et cetera, how often and when do you decide to either move that area or you're changing colors, changing weight sizes for the, you know, the fall? Like, how do you go about trying to go through that, especially when you're not really catching anything to get clued in on, on, on what the bite might be? So for me personally, I learned from probably one of the very best out there on how long to spend in an area before I crank up and go somewhere else. That's that's the first thing that that goes through my rotation. If I pull up into an area, I give it about 15 minutes. If I don't see I don't see any shad popping on the surface, if I don't hear, you know, say I'm on Wheeler, the, the last lake I fished. Uh 
say I don't see, hear any many bluegill popping in the lily pads. I don't see any shad moving around. Uh, the wind's not quite right in the area that I want that I'm in at the particular time. Usually, fifteen or twenty minutes. If I hadn't got a bite, I'm leaving and going somewhere else. Now, in saying that, the first thing I want to do in any given practice situation. And I'm just using that as an example because the first day that I go practice is just like the first day somebody goes to a new body of water. And, and sometimes that's the way it is for me. I'm going to a completely new body of water that I've never seen before the first day of practice. The first thing I want to do is go to an area that I know has a lot of fish just to see what I can catch them on, whether it be a shaky head, a fighting frog, a spinnerbait, you know, whatever that bait may be i want to figure that out before i start expanding my search uh wheeler was a perfect example i think the first morning i spent the first probably 20 minutes i caught my first fish on a spinnerbait i'm like okay i know the shad spawn going on spinnerbait ought to work and day two of the tournament the second largest bass that i weighed in called that on spinnerbait but I don't spend a lot of time in what I call dead water if I can help it. Uh, there, are, you know, that's one of the things that that this Mega Live has started to change in the way I fish. If I pull up on a on a specific spot, say it's a brush pile, and I scan across that brush pile and I see fish there, and I see that there's active fish in the area, it's making me spend more time than I normally would have casting to that brush pile by seeing those fish there mm -hmm. before i could see fish on my 360 but they you know i couldn't tell if they were really active or they were just there and you know every now and then you could see them swim out of the brush pile on the 360 but now you can literally watch the fish swim from one side of the brush pile to the other so i'm spending more time fishing for fish that i probably wouldn't catch anyway mm -hmm. and that's something that I have to learn, all right, if I'm here for 10 minutes, I don't get a bite. I need to be going somewhere else. Yep. Yeah. That's that whole, that was a, a change for me too. When you, when you start getting, when I, cause I, I, like you, I've only had forward facing for not even two years now. And that was always my biggest fear. And why I didn't get in the beginning was I was going to waste time. And, and that comes to fruition pretty quick where you end up wasting time. So what I did personally and rotations have always been an issue in my tournament fishing is I'll stick in an area even before Mega Live because I, I either caught fish there in practice or I know that there's fish there because I've caught them there before. And next thing I know, I've wasted an hour and a half and I haven't got bit. So I started this year. Actually, it was just our, the last tournament I fished. I set an alarm on my phone now for every – I think I had it 20 minutes. And if that goes off, and I'm not – much like you said, until my I internalize that clock, when that goes off, if I'm not seeing what I need to do, I'm putting the motor down – I'm picking up and I'm going somewhere else and trying to find what I'm looking for. But I, you dropped a nugget in there that was like a light bulb for me because it's not something that I ever thought about. And I don't know if it was for anybody else, but we get so used to fishing the conditions we're presented with. And and I say all the time, like I'll go out and practice and smash the fish and then go to a tournament and, and catch a, a little bag or, you know, they're just not there because I'm fishing the conditions on the day when I catch the fish and they might be completely different. So, so practicing for the conditions that are forecasted for that next, you know, two days later, or even if it's a week, you can get a pretty good idea. 
Um, cause I'm going to go out and pre-fish this weekend for a tournament next weekend. Like now I know the wind's going to completely change. It's out of the Northeast this week. Next week it's supposed to be out of the Southwest. I'm going to practice for that Southwest wind now. And I might not catch as many fish this weekend, but I'll have a better idea what to do when I have the conditions that I'm faced with. And that for anybody that's getting in to tournament fishing or has been, and I hear it all the time at the ramp and I'm sure you guys have too. Like I caught 30 pounds in practice and today I have seven and you hear it on Jordan all the time because 30 pounds happens, you know, it can happen in a heartbeat. That's me on Jordan. Uh, that is, and that that, is that's me. exactly it because I'm fishing the conditions on the day I'm practicing and then you get it changed, high pressure, low pressure, bluebird, you get a storm front, whatever it is, water levels change, the temperature comes up 10 degrees. If you know that stuff's coming and you fish for those conditions, there's still going to be some fish in those areas, but you have a better idea of how to approach it. And that, to me, that was like a dang light bulb moment. So I appreciate you sharing that one. Fish for the future. Yeah, yeah. For tournaments, obviously. Yeah. yeah. One of the other things I think a lot of us get caught up in, and I know I did for many years, is oh man, I gotta go get I gotta go get these bites in practice. Well, I've seen this year, granted, I haven't had any high finishes, but I've weighed in limits of fish every day so far in all but one event. That I would have weighed in a limit of fish if I had paid attention and not had a brain fart. <laughs> but not catching fish in practice is is not a bad thing and we've yeah. we've all gotten hung up on man i've got to get these bites where i'll know where they're at but now if we can pull up with side imaging and and mega live and all this other you know the 360 and we can see those fish there why don't you have to catch them in practice yep I mean, yeah, it's okay to pull up on a brush pile, catch one three-pounder out of it, unhook that fish, turn it loose, mark the brush pile, move on. But you don't have to sit there and, and you know catch 20 fish out of that brush pile because all you're doing is educating those fish yeah. on what you're going to do on tournament day. We had yeah. uh, t- last year at uh, the club tournament, Lake Watery, um, we had a guy in the club, you know, it was, it was a tough event. Shad's mom was going on. So once that's done, um, but he found some fish offshore in 20 foot, like the day before the tournament. And, uh, he caught like five or six fish out of there. And I asked him like, why did you do that? Because, because he went back during the tournament and he didn't get a single bite there. He's like, I know. And I knew when I was doing it, I shouldn't do it, but it's just too much fun to catch them. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and we all get caught up in that, you know, in certain instances. The the last tournament that I fished with my son, I have not been on Table Rock in probably three years. Pretty sure it's been three years since I've been up there. Uh, went and fished cold, didn't have any idea. I knew there should be still some spawning fish. I knew the shad spawn deal should be going on. Had a fog delay that lasted to like 8.45. I, I literally crank up, run around behind the boat ramp. I'm three quarters of a mile from takeoff. I lose the first two fish in eight inches of water. Literally had the same big, you know, gamakatsu flipping hook that I'd been using at, at uh, Wheeler. And those fish, you just don't need that, uh, that giant big flipping hook. So changed hooks, next bite I catch. And throughout the day, I, I had like 12 pounds, seven ounces. Well, we 
we measure and release our fish just like the kayak tournaments do. Uh, in my case, I brought my fish in to be verified because I had my son with me. But we, we wound up with 12 pounds, 7 ounces, and we won the tournament. Well, I'm talking to everybody. Oh, man, they bit yesterday. They was biting real good yesterday. Every one of my live scope yesterday, they'd run down and eat the bait. I'm like, I just went fishing. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay any attention to the to what was going on yesterday. I went fishing for today, and that's how I won that tournament. Yeah. I didn't have any preconceived notions about yeah. how deep or what I was going to be doing. <clears throat> I went and fished the way I wanted to and caught enough fish to scrape out a win. And that, that's the mental side we talk about with fishing is the more knowledge you gain and, and how the more we never know for sure how fish behave, but the more general knowledge on fish behavior you get, that's when you start going, well, it's this time of year and this is going on. So these fish are going to be there. And then you, they're not there. And some guy comes in and stomps you by 15 pounds because I caught them all in eight inches of water. And you're like, what? They were in the offshore brush piles yesterday. Well, they move. Sometimes if you get out there and they're not there, like it's time to do something different. And I think that's something that everybody struggles with because, and I say it all the time, like they should be here. I don't know why they're not here or I see them. They're here. Why aren't they eating? Well, those fish aren't active. And that, that back to circling back to Harvey's point with forward facing, that's the hard thing now because now you know they're there and the more experience you get, you know, that's a six pounder in that brush pile. And outside of putting a hook in a bluegill's back and flipping it down there, that six pounder probably ain't going to eat anything. <laughs> Yeah. And you, you end up wasting 30 minutes trying to catch that one fish, which in a bed, you know, a bed fishing or sight tournament, you can get away with that, you know, a sight fishing tournament like that. But if you're using forward facing and you're five, six, seven minutes and that fish hasn't reacted to anything you put in front of it, you need to get the heck out of it. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> the, the uh, I think the important message is you don't all have to practice the same, but I think that the, the message that you brought up that's really important is, fish for the future conditions. Um, and, and I know we all struggle with it. Uh, we like to fish history and listen, there's plenty of anglers that will go out and dominate on Tuesday nighters, Wednesday nighters. They will dominate one or two tournaments a year. They'll cherry pick and they know like that's where they're good at. That's their strength. They're going to fish it. Um, but when you're fishing at the national level, like you are, or all the other anglers and the other circuits and stuff, or you're just recreationally fishing, but for, for somebody like you, you, you are fishing for the future. You can't sore lip everything that you have and you have to pay attention to the weather and stuff, which brings me to a question. Uh, I know I've been called people got on me about it before, but I don't listen to music when I fish. Um, I don't have earbuds in. I don't, I don't really even like to talk a whole lot. Um, I got a lot of flack about this, uh, many, many episodes ago about like the co-angler thing. Um, and, and me, if I was in the EQ position fishing, uh, to, to, to qualify or requalify for the elites, I wouldn't prefer to have a co-angler. This is just Trey's opinion. Everybody can beat me up, whatever. But when you, when you are so in tune to the environment, when you're hyper-focused on the sounds, the smells, everything around you does it get distracting for you uh in the eqs with somebody in the back of the boat well i'll I'll put it this way and i've been a co-anger so i i understand their perspective their point of view i understand that they're out there trying to win money just like i am 
when most of the time, 99% of the time, the only thing that, that will cause me problems with having a co-angler is if they're not prepared to leave in a timely fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, if I pull up on a spot, I make five casts. I'm like, bro, we're going. And and I'm in the seat ready to be go in less than 10 seconds. I've timed it over and over again. Just because time is cast. And, and, and I'm not a fast fisherman, but from place A to place B, I want to get there as fast as I possibly can. You know, my, my boat will only do like 65 miles an hour with two people, but still I want to be doing 65 miles an hour as fast as I can come off pad as fast as I can. A lot of times I'm sure y'all have seen Jacob Wheeler, you know, he'll be done, turn the motor off and standing on the front deck, putting the trolling motor down before the boat's completely off plane. I will do that if I think it's necessary and co-anglers can be a hindrance. That's not a bad thing. It's just, it's just a fact. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have asked co-anglers in the past at Grand Lake in 2020, 2021, the fall of tournament that we had there that I had my second top 10 on Grand. Uh, Day two, I had an older gentleman. And I told him, you know, straight up, I said, I'm going to be hitting probably 40 or 50 spots today. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, I would appreciate it. Even if I have to swap life jackets with you, that if you would leave your life jacket on, because when I'm, when I'm getting to the point where I've got one or two casts left, I'm going to turn around and say, Hey, we're fixing to go. And I would appreciate Mm -hmm. it if you'll be ready to go when I'm ready to go. And he was super cool about it. He was like, hey, no problem. I don't mind wearing my life jacket all day. Just let me know when you're going to make your, you know, you've got two casts left. Let let me know. At noon, I didn't have a fish. And he was kind of like, we're still going to continue to do this all day. And I said, yes, sir, we're going to continue to do this until I don't have any time left. At uh, 1225, I had like 17 and a half pounds. Cause it literally just happened in two spots within 20 minutes. And he looks at me and he was like, I have never <laughs> in all my tournament years seen somebody do what you do. Well, I caught a five pounder, pulled my trolling motor, ran maybe a quarter of a mile, dropped the trolling motor in the water. My first cast was my second five pounder and finished out a limit within 10 minutes with a crankbait. Yeah. And he was like, I, he was just dumbfounded. He was like, I've never seen anybody do something like that. But I'm, I'm and I told him, I said, this is how it will go down. If it goes down, this is how it's going to happen. And uh, co-anglers can be the perfect example. Bugs Island, day one, catch the first fish. It's like 14 and three quarters. I throw it on the board. I, everything's good. I opened the live well and my co-anger looks at me and he's like, you're not going to throw that short fish in the live well, are you? And I'm like, short fish? What do you mean? It's only 14 inches. Nope. Got to be 15 inches here. Mm. It, it kind of took me by surprise. Uh, pulled my phone out, tried to pull up the email, couldn't get the email to pull up. But I'm like, man, I hate to throw this fish back, but He's telling me it's 15 inches and I'm 
not going to put a short fish in my live well. So I toss it and I toss seven more through the day that were between 14 and a quarter and 14 and seven eighths. Mm. I weigh in three fish for six pounds. Day two, I catch 16 pounds. If I'd weighed in two more fish on day one, all I needed was two pounds, even top 10. Oof. So co-anglers can, it was my fault because I wasn't 1000% sure and I couldn't pull it up in the email. Should have screenshotted it, which I will be doing from here on out where I will know 1000%. This is the link limit right here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that one, that one cost me a lot of money. Yep. Yeah. It wasn't the co-angler's fault. It was my fault because mm-hmm. I just, Hey man, this dude fishes here all the time. He, he's gotta be right. Yeah. You yeah. Know? But it, it cost him. I don't know what he would have done on day two, but he would have been sitting in the top 15. Yeah. And, and I don't, I don't mean to revisit the, the co-angler thing for, for everyone, uh, for co-anglers are bad. What I, you know, everyone has their own way to practice. Everyone has their own way to fish tournaments. Everyone has their own standard operating procedures as it pertains to that stuff. But, you know, pay attention to that. You know, that's a message to those fishing out of the back of someone's boat, whether it's mine, Pete's Harvey's Ben's, everybody has their flavor. And so just ask the question like, Hey, how do you fish? You know, are you, are you a fast fisherman? Do you fish slow? You fish deep, you fish shallow. Like what do you need in order to streamline the process? Because there are several instances where it's like tackle boxes all over the back of the boat. You're ready. Hey, like I'm, I'm ready to rock and roll. Like, let's do this. And uh, so it's important to understand that. That's why I asked you about like the music thing and like, you know, like I don't listen to music. I'm just watching for birds. I'm watching the cloud cover. I'm watching the way the wind's blowing. I'm sometimes I just feel like I smell fish. I don't know what it is. I just feel like that, but there are things that can be very distracting because I don't know why, but I hyper focus on distractions and distractions sometimes get in the way. Um, but it's just something I wanted to ask you about. So I appreciate you answering that. Yeah. As far as like music and sounds, when, when my son was little, I would take him and he would scream and yell every time fish were caught. So that part of it, I don't really think makes any difference. Yeah. Uh, I do run a hydro wave when I'm fishing tournament days and everybody's like, Oh man, does it work? Does it not work? I couldn't tell you because I don't use it during practice at all. Mm -hmm. I want to make as much artificial noise as possible during practice, because if I can catch fish with all that going on with the mega live, with the 360, with my transducer on my trolling motor pinging away, if I can get by while making all that noise and still catch fish, when I come back and I'm running my hydro wave, I feel like I'm going to catch them even better. Yeah. Um, and that's just something that I've experienced over the years. I, I, I turned it on for years during practice and got to the point to where, you know what, I, I need to just concentrate on what I can do to catch fish in practice and, and make it to where it's more normal for the fish during tournament days. And I don't use the hydro wave as a as a means of making the fish more active. I use it as something to mask the sounds that I'm that my boat's already making, whether it be my aerator pumps filling the live wells full of water, 
the the graphs pinging away with my transducers. It's just one of those things that seems like it makes a, a little bit of difference to me throughout a tournament day, especially like on Wheeler where I'm fishing extremely high pressured fish. Uh, yeah. I went behind a lot of people and caught fish, and that seemed it to makes, be the it makes perfect sense because Confidence. I, I mean, especially with for the, the prevalence of forward facing and stuff like that, like being able to watch how fish react when you pull up on brush piles and stuff. And and sometimes you'll pull up and you drop that trolling motor and they're all above the brush pile or off to the side feeding. And next thing you know, they all suck into that brush pile and you don't know, you don't know why. Well, it could be that transducer thing. That's probably what it is if they don't see the boat. Uh, uh, so Chelsea, when you listen to this now, you know, I have to buy a hydro wave and that's why so <laughs> we got to have it. So you, you can't fit it. <laughs> no, I got plenty of room. Pete's trolling motor is 492 pounds. <laughs> I, I've, seen, I've seen some of the craziest stuff over the last 10 years. I mean, I've got uh, a couple of buddies that are running three different forward facing sonar yep. transducers and, you know, they'll be running a hummingbird and then they'll have, uh, two Garmin's on one trolling motor, and I'm like, dude, how, how much more do you need to see? <laughs> well, that's I, I mean, really, all of it. I think Destin, yeah. Destin's running three. Mike, Virginia, he's only Mike running is. two. Destin's running two. Yeah. We all know Destin, Marion, and Mike Mike Corbishly with Lawrence. You, you've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Corbishly with Lawrence. We had him on. He's running three on his boat, so he can yeah. do the because they have the new. What is the like the 180 live, and then he can yeah. run forward at the same time? And, yeah, I can only afford and, half uh, of one. I can't remember which one of the Japanese anglers and the elites has like six of them jokers. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely insane. <laughs> I know how I fish, and and I, I've been extremely thankful for for the hummingbird guys ever since day one. Uh, I'm I'm just amazed that uh, I haven't broken a trolling motor shaft in my career. Knock on wood. It's just, you know, anything extra that I put down there, I feel like at some point I'm going to knock it off. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I I try to be as careful as I can and still do what I'm wanting to do. But I couldn't imagine having three transducers mm-hmm. down there. I'd have a panic attack every time I saw a log <laughs> in the water. I will say, anybody that claims they broke a, a mega 360 pole, you're lying because I have watched what that thing can do on my boat. And you're, I don't know how you could break that joker because I've had that thing look pointing back towards the motor on, on stumps and everything else. And uh, I haven't broken it yet. So that's the, <laughs> the that's the, be- I ran an all tracks. Uh, the previous year was the first year that it came out. They were having problems with the epoxy and the shafts. Yeah. And literally <laughs> the first all tracks that I got on my first tournament boat uh, for the elite series first event down in Florida, I pull up and I'm like, bro, I brought an extra four tracks with me. And one of the hummingbird techs, Joby, he literally looks at me and says, I bet you a hundred dollar bill that you can't break that trolling motor shaft. And I'm like, bet <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> and in, in the last five years of running all tracks is I've never broken. One. Yeah. And I have put them through everything you can imagine. Uh, so yeah, whatever they're using, they must've got some of that, you know, stole some of Matt's juice or something. That's to, what I'm uh, saying. <laughs> they're indestructible. Yeah. I've, I've run into a lot of stuff on my old tricks because when I'm fishing, I don't pay the most attention and I haven't broke that shaft yet either. So, mm. um, 
It's important <laughs> for it's important for everyone uh, watching and listening though. Like every single one of us runs something different. We all fish differently. We all run different gear. Um, we all have our own techniques. I, I think that was the the one thing that I brought up previously is like, um, does it appear that you know everyone is trying to take a like a cookie cutter approach to what a professional bass angler is supposed to look like, act like, use you know, be like, and, uh, the, the, the answer is no. Cause it's already been debunked, uh, right now with guys like John Cox and with Keith Poche, every single angler is different. Um, so I think that's the beauty of, of doing what you're able to do is, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. You want to oh, have yeah. 15 forward facing sonars by all means, you know, attach them to your power poles or Raptors, whatever, <laughs> go for it. Um, or you can have none and do it that way too and, and still be successful so it just boils down to your skill and what you're comfortable with that hydro wave is your confidence it's confident for you you know so um sure. but it is interesting to see how go ahead you made me think of this about uh attaching some to your power pulse have you guys seen seen the crappy breaks yeah 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 that's why i suck yeah. <laughs> i sort of think it because you know you know if your forward facing sonar is on your trolling motor, like sometimes that wind's the wrong direction the way you need to be facing yeah. and your boat turns, it'd be like, huh, well that could position your boat a little bit better in some, some instances. But, uh, I just, I, I, I just, the other day. I'm ready to see hovercraft fishing tournaments. No. I want to see <laughs> no, James so, Bond car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we're getting off topic here, but yeah, it could work. It could. Work. It could. It could. It could, like, like I said, you know, and and I've talked about with John John Cruz and stuff, and and I'm sure you've talked about with other people. Like everybody, one of the I think one of the negatives that comes out of of bass fishing is everybody thinks you have to have that hundred thousand dollar glass boat, and you have to have all these electronics, you have to have all of this stuff to compete. Because I see it time and time again, you don't need that stuff. I mean, if you look at look at the last two classics, have been one out of aluminum boats. Uh, Gussie won his first elite series event using 360 to catch fish off of deep boulder. He didn't have forward facing sonar, but he knew how to use what he had and he capitalized with this. I was a way more successful fisherman tournament wise when I had a 14 and a half foot tracker with a nine, nine on it. Then we ran about four mm. miles an hour because I just went fishing Two and, stroke. and yeah, I did. Mm. I did what I was comfortable doing and Harvey, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you will. You don't need all of that stuff. I mean, you ran no, no. that great express boat, which isn't a hundred thousand dollar glass boat, and you had a lot of success in it. Obviously, a lot of other guys are. Keith Pochet's running, I mean, the Gator Tracks is up there for an aluminum boat, but he's running an 18 and a half foot boat and he's competing at that high level. It's I'm hoping that the the success of the the not glass boats and the different brand boats and and guys still fishing with with not all the electronics or even if they have them not utilizing them by staring at a screen for eight hours will help help people see that you don't need that to compete i just i think we're and we this the industry does it the world does this we emphasize on on the on the little tangible things as being the most important things what you look like what you dress like all these things what you use 
what you should focus on is the character that you have in the game. You know, are you a professional? Are you a steward of the profession? Do you uh, emulate an image that, uh, that others would want to be like, especially the youth and stuff like that? Sure, there's going to be times for entertainment and stuff. We saw that on the classic stage. We saw that with Poche. And some of that stuff makes for gr- good media. Uh, but growing the industry and, and trying to make it is professional. And that's why the question is there. Like, are you professional? You know, how do you define a professional Uh, other than just getting paid for doing what you do? Does your behavior factor into being a professional? And so emphasizing your character more than the kind of boat you use, the kind of sonar you use, I think is a more important message. But that, you know, again, that's just Trey's opinion. I I 100 percent agree with that. I actually have, I know you guys can't see it, but literally sitting right beside my driveway is the 17 and a half foot Ranger Cherokee with a 50 horse seven reef from 1998 that I started fishing out of when I moved to Arkansas. I fished Bull Shoals. I fished Table Rock, Grand Lake, Lake Eufaula in Oklahoma, the Arkansas River uh, down at Dardanelle. I've been all over the place in that little boat and had a ball fishing out of it can get into places that even Poche couldn't get into out of that thing. <laughs> uh, now I'm not going to run and jump anything out of it, because I want to let him stay out. but I had, I, I had opportunities in, in that little boat to go places and do things that I wouldn't take this 21 foot skeeter in. Mm-hmm. You know, they say no way because I'm dragging it over rocks and you know across sandbars and everything else, gravel bars. And I do, and I've literally thought about taking that boat to you follow because I know there's some holes over there that I can get in and get out of that nobody else can go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm still in love with the little boats. I've always been. I've always been in love with aluminum boats just because that's what I was brought up fishing in. Is it nice to have the amenities of a 21-foot skeeter? Love it. 1,000%. But I still enjoy fishing out of that little boat. My sister bought a bigger boat this year, and that boat's going to turn into my son's tournament boat. If he decides to fish tournaments, he'll have a boat to go fish out of. But it's it's one of those things where we've been programmed to have you know, you got to have the best of the best to be yep. to be able to compete with the rest of these guys. And that's just not the case. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to Rick Klon, Klon is one of the one of the best of all time and always will be. And, you know, he's fished out of a, a nitro that's not a 21 foot boat for years. I don't know what boat he's in this year. But I know every year that I competed against him in the opens and in the elite series, he was in a 20 footer. Yep. Mm-hmm. What he likes. Uh, he made adjustments to make that boat more creature fin- friendly to him. You know, he, he literally puts one of the big bumpers under the seat, whereas he's riding, it gives him a more cushioned ride. I hope I can walk at his age, much less. Right. Than <laughs> I know that's before. right. <laughs> but. I'm with uh, you there. Yeah, guys, it's been, you know, this this journey that I've been on for the last 20 years now has been amazing. I've met some of the most amazing people in this country and from other countries. You know, uh, meeting some of the guys from South Africa that have followed me on social media, 
uh, some of the folks from Mexico and Spain and all over the world, the Japanese people that, that are here, some of the most amazing people on, on this planet. Mm-hmm. And to be a part of that conversation where, you know, when you, when you look across the board at industry wide, how, how we treat each other and how we treat people that are outside of our industry, um, is always going to be paramount to me over what I worry about, what somebody thinks of me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just being able to hang out with you guys tonight, you know, every time we see each other at a show, it, it's always, it always means something to me to, to know that I've got good friends like y'all out there that, uh, that if I need some information, I can call and say, Hey bro, what's, what's going on at Bull Shoals right now or what's happening Nothing. over there. Don't ask James me right now. <laughs> But if you'd have called me, I'd have come fishing. <laughs> we told him. We told him. <laughs> he told yeah, him. Yeah, I know. I got stuck in the hayfield, and I didn't know my schedule. You're- well, if my son hadn't have put a four-inch gash on his leg. I was going to ask. Uh, I saw that on social. That yeah. was your son. It wasn't you because I saw a picture of you on a bike, and the picture that I think your wife posted posted the picture. <laughs> I said, I don't know if that was Harvey or his son, but somebody got some stitches, it looks like. Well, that we we talked about it. I looked at it, and I'm like, man, they, I don't think they're going to put stitches in it. It was deep. It was long. But I felt like, okay, they're just going to close it up with butterflies, and he'll be good to go. Yep. Well, we took the big bandage off of it today, and I looked at it again. And I was like, yeah, just go and take him up there and let them evaluate it. <laughs> After 12 hours, they won't stitch it up. And, of course, yep. the doctor was like, yeah, we would have probably put some stitches in that, but the butterflies look good. Uh, we're just going to put some new butterflies on it, clean it up. And he wasn't real happy about it getting cleaned up again. I've been, uh, I've had a few stitches in my time and wasn't a fan. So I wasn't going to make him go through that or yeah, yeah. something that wasn't life threatening, you know, uh, someday we'll have like a one cast after hours. And I'll tell you about the time I got stitches with no, no numbing or anything because I wanted to impress the nurse. <laughs> yeah, I good luck. It didn't work out for me <laughs> like I thought it would. I thought I had, was... uh, I had like eight stitches in the end of my finger right here. And I would have much rather them just put the stitches in with no painkiller because the painkillers were Yeah, that hurts work. worse. Yeah. The pain <laughs> I went through. Well, yeah, you well, certainly have uh, – you've had a – a heck of a, a ride to this point and it's still going, you know, fishing the EQs. No, I have no doubt that you'll, you'll be back up there again. Um, you know, we're, we're coming up on almost two hours. We've been talking, it's going to be a, this is going to be a great episode, but you know, we're getting to the end. So first I want to give you an opportunity to plug, you know, your socials and then, you know, any sponsors you want to shout out, uh, you know, make sure that, that you get an opportunity to, to bring attention to those that, that help you be able to do this for a living for, uh, for how long have you been fishing now professionally? It's been 15 years or so. Oh no, gosh no. Uh I fished the the first the first opens that I fished was in 2017. That's right. Um qualified for the Elite Series that year didn't go uh the split happened at 18. I was 13th in points, so I was I was in that conversation to to be allotted a spot uh requalify however you want to say it mm-hmm. i got in trouble with uh with ronnie moore when i said i didn't requalify in 2018 and he he uh enlightened me that i was wrong really quick <laughs> but uh 
Yeah, I mean, I qualified in 17, uh, requalified in 18 because of the split and, and fished 19, 20, and 21. It was an amazing run. I'm not upset because I'm not there. Uh, you know, they made a business decision to cut the field. And, yep. you know, of course, three years later, here it is back at a 107 or whatever. And I'm like, guys, you know, either do or don't, but don't yeah. do both. That's my only thing is, you know, we, yeah, we've, we're still yeah. fishing. Yeah, it's something we've talked about. There's a little bit of inconsistent to see there with field size. Yeah. And there's really no – there's nowhere in writing that it says says what they're going to do. It just kind of happens. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, you know, I don't have a $90,000 bill hanging over my head before I make a cast either. That's so right. That's a good part about it. Right now, my focus is on – winning an open and going to the going to the classic the elite series would be great if i had companies to step in and and make up that uh that gap in there to to help me out i would still go otherwise i'm not but to me you know grassroots is where it's always been more fun i still fish some of my bass nation club stuff um the opens are always great or the eqs now as they call them but I think we got some interesting stuff coming next year, possibly. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Bass decides, what direction Bass decides to go with uh, some of the ideas that they're kicking around right now. I hope that they do go in a, in, in a little bit different direction. They're going to add some tournaments and, and change up a few things. But uh, it sounds pretty exciting from what I've heard. Now, whether it's rumor or fact, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's always great to, to, uh, be a part of that conversation. Yeah. Um, as far as companies that, uh, you know, we, we talked plenty about cash and rods tonight. So I, I hope Matt <laughs> thrilled with, with this podcast if he gets to watch it. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee has always been great to me. Of course, Spro, Kamigatsu, Sunline is, is paramount in my life. I, I don't have anything in my garage but sunline so you know if you're out there and you're looking for a really good fluorocarbon or braid or monofilament sunline's the way to go in my opinion um big bite baits of course they're they're more of a family to me than you know anything they uh they've always been there and had my back i got to call and order some stuff this week as a matter of fact but uh if y'all Get a chance, try some of the Black Rifle coffee. It is, I'm not a coffee drinker. Or, let me rephrase. I wasn't a coffee drinker until I, until I started hanging out with a guy from Black Rifle. They have changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I was one of those guys. I only drank coffee a couple of times a year when it was really cold. Uh, I want to say that uh, Santine Cooper was probably the first time I walked by their little tent and I was like, dude, try some of this coffee. I'm like, man, I done had an energy drink this morning. I'm good. Well, let's try it and see what you think. I'm not really a coffee guy. Of course, I, yeah, I'll try what you got. Pour up a little bit of it. And I'm like, where's the cream and sugar? Oh, you don't need that. Huh? How does that work? Yep. <laughs> Tried it, liked it, and brought some home to my wife. And, of course, now... uh She's more the coffee drinker than I am, so she drinks up all the coffee. That's what she handed me a while ago. Was one of the newest bags that we just got. Oh yeah, and 
Too bad we don't have smell-o-vision because that stuff is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I go to bed and have the fan blowing across that all night. And I'd be That's right. happier. <laughs> but it's uh, it's been great talking to you guys and uh, look forward to seeing y'all at ICAST if y'all are going to be there. We're not sure yet. Not sure yet. We're not sure. Well, who do I need to call to make sure? Ben, yeah. <laughs> well, we're not. We're not. Well, we can talk a little bit offline. We're not going to go down there for, with the booth, but we're trying to yeah. get away yeah. down there with the one cast. Yeah, we may come down. down you know, media come down and see see everybody and uh, see what what's what. You know, I yeah, like it I'm, a little better that way. I'm not contractually obligated to go, but it's just one of those things where I'm going to go see all my friends. You know, yeah, yeah. another place that I can go hang out with all my buddies and talk fishing. So heck with it. I'll go walk nine miles a day just to that's right. folks and have get, fun. Get, get the steps in, you know? Yeah. So for anybody that's watching, that's not following you on social, where, uh, where can they find you on the, the various social medias? Harvey Horn fishing pretty much on everything out there. Now, there's some underscores and stuff, but you should, should be able to type in Harvey Horn yeah. fishing on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh what else i think i'm I'm not sure i don't know if my wife does (laughs) that or not something like that but uh yeah we're out there we're constantly doing stuff on instagram and facebook and uh, a little bit on tiktok so yeah if y'all have it nope go ahead yeah make sure you give him a follow also make sure you head over to youtube uh follow the bass hub over there uh, for their weekly podcast with Harvey and, and Stephanie, who who have now both been on with us, and we've That's been right. on with them. Well, we've been on with Harvey, so we'll have to get a we'll have to get another one scheduled to try to get on with you, both of you. Uh, That's Stephanie right. He was down there for the NPFL event, uh, and Ben was also absent for that one because he was, I think, cutting hay or something, right, Ben? <laughs> yeah, up at the farm. The energy. Yeah. I can't even upload like a, a, a TikTok video up there, so. That's perfect. Yeah, that's a perfect place to be. Is there land beside it for sale or anything? (laughs) So yeah, make sure you follow. (laughs) That's right. Make sure you follow Harvey Horn Fishing on uh, on all the socials. Make sure uh, you're following the One Cast on all the socials as well as One Cast Fishing, uh, who helps us keep this going. Uh, If you if you get on, you'll see all the links to a bunch of great uh, veteran companies that that buddies of ours are involved with or that we're directly involved with, uh, make sure you click on those and, and support those companies however you can. Uh, I'll throw them out there again. It's Heroes Harvest. Well, we do tournament trade does every year. Uh, FX3 Inc., who uh, is a, a basically a suicide prevention, prevention yeah. company uh, that, that Mike John's a good friend of ours, uh, helps head, uh, trying to make sure we keep veterans uh, veterans going. And then Special Operations Bass Anglers, uh, they do, do some charity tournaments and things, some other events. Uh, so make sure you check them out. And uh, Harvey, we appreciate you. Uh, we'll get you back on. I want to get you back on because I want you. To, you're, I love your story. Uh, getting, getting, you know, traveling through fishing and all that. And I actually want to get you and your wife on uh, because I know she's an integral part of all that. Yep. And uh, <laughs> she, we all know that that uh, she's the real brains behind the operation. So yep. uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'd love to have you guys come on. Just talk about your journey because it's it's something that. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of folks would would benefit from hearing and, and let you know that it's possible uh, no matter what walk of life you come from or what, you know, where you are financially or whatever. It, it's possible through hard work and if it's something that you really, you know, really want to do and really care about. So uh, that's all I got. You guys got anything you want to add at the end here, Ben? 
I'm good. All right. Awesome. All right, thank you, Harvey. Yeah, thanks, Harvey. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, make sure you like, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Make sure you follow Harvey Horn Fishing, and make sure you follow the Bass Hub on YouTube. All right. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, son. It's a f***ing toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow. feel like it's going to be a bad day.